contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. It's presented by BetOnline.ag. They're your online sportsbook experts. They're the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Use the promo code PODCAST1 to receive a 50% sign-up bonus. BetOnline.ag, your exclusive partner of the Podcast One Sports Network. What a podcast I have for you today. It's Dave Cantor, a longtime agent, 23 years in the business and just now completed a contract negotiation with the Dallas Cowboys, Stephen Jones, for Demarcus Lawrence that has $65 million over the first three years, $105 million five-year deal. We go behind the scenes. We get into it, a long and detailed conversation about how that deal came to be. But before that, David gets into his other clients, Eric Weddle being cut by the Baltimore Ravens and ending up with the Rams, and Olivier Vernon being traded by the New York Giants two years after a marquee big-time free agent deal to the Cleveland Browns and the agent business in general. David is very forthcoming and open, really taking you behind the curtain, seeing what's up with the agent business. First, my rant of the week, and it's always interesting when there are Packers stories in the news and there's a lot of Packers stuff in the news. It seems like piling on the Packers is kind of a new cottage industry this week, this month, it seems. And everybody's been asking me, what do I think about the story in Bleacher Report? What do I think about the story in ESPN? What's going on with Aaron Rodgers? What's going on with Mike McCarthy? You know, a couple things that I guess I'll respond to here. First of all, I I think we need to leave Mike McCarthy alone. Listen, I, I mean, Aaron said this in his comments this week as well. Whatever we want to do with these legacies is up to us individually. Ultimately, we don't have to dictate legacies for anyone. But to sort of, uh, I don't know, taint 13 years of success, mostly mostly real success, like tremendous success as a coach. And we're reading about massages, uh, you know, in the, that gets the headlines in these articles about Mike McCarthy. I just think that's unfair. Um, listen, I was with Mike for three and a half years and there were times I even clashed with Mike, but, you know, let's give the respect that he's due. You know, one of people say only won one Super Bowl. Well, how many has your coach won? If you're not talking about Bill Belichick, I mean, how many Super Bowls are are coaches winning where Mike McCarthy's being referred to as only one Super Bowl? I don't get it. So, and, and tremendous success. And when I was there, we had playoffs every year. We had NFC championships in there. Listen, this is high. This is major success in the NFL. And Mike's still living there. I know what it's like to leave an organization and still live there. I, as in Green Bay. I mean, there are a lot of places to do it around the country, which you sort of, you know, you never get noticed. But in Green Bay, oh my God, that's hard. I feel for him living there. I mean, it was hard for me to live there, and I left by mutual decision. I mean, this was hard. This was hard just hanging around Green Bay because everything's Packers. You can't walk out of your house without talking about the Packers or the weather, and it's just something where you're constantly in part of. So, I guess my first thought on all this Packer talk is, come on, come on with Mike McCarthy here. You know, we can all disagree about his offense or say it got stale with Aaron. Sure. 
And in my four years of watching Mike and Aaron, they were very close. And these are, you know, this was forged through off seasons where Brett was, Brett Farr was in Mississippi for the off season and Aaron was up there and they were developing quarterback school and all these guys like Donald Driver and Greg Jennings would say, wow, this guy's serious. I mean, he's a really good player, James Jones. And ultimately we got comfortable with handing the keys over to Aaron at some point, but you know, Mike and Aaron were close in the time that I saw him. And I know 13 years, any relationship gets stale. And I think both have basically said that in so many words, both Mike and Aaron saying, you know, it gets stale after a while, as it does with anything. If, uh, you know, if somehow Aaron plays another 10 years and Matt LaFleur's there, that's going to get stale. So all these things happen. I mean, I, you know, and then on Aaron, you know, listen, I do think he's, got a point with some of these guys that are saying the same thing they've said about Aaron before. There's been negative comments about Aaron before that they were dredged up in this article. I don't think there's anything new there. And then you have people defending Aaron. Listen, Aaron's a different cat. I get it. He's got a wry sense of humor. He doesn't take things too seriously. He's got a California cool about him. And yes, the whole chip on the shoulder thing. I mean, I think you know, a lot of people get drafted lower than 24 in the draft, but this was a different thing. This was a guy who was supposed to go one and sat there, and it was the first time you really had someone in the green room that long with the cameras on them. And, and as as they were telling me, you literally had the caterers in that room before we called Aaron stacking up tables all around him and kind of with their hands folded on their chest, with their arms folded, tapping their feet like, when are you going to get picked, dude? Get out of here. We want to clean the room and go home. So that's what was happening there. Um, you know, listen, I think Aaron's fine. You know, I, and, I, and I'm not being a shill for him. I mean, of course he's got gravitas. the highest paid player in the league. He's the highest paid player in the history of the organization. One of the two or three best players in the history of the organization. One of the two or three best players in, in the planet. So... Does he have an ego? Yeah. Does Tom Brady have an ego? Yeah. Does Cam Newton have an ego? Yeah. Does Russell Wilson have I mean, come on. <laughs> I think we're naive to think there's things about Aaron Rodgers that aren't happening around the, the league. And the last thing I say is I think we're really naive to think these things don't happen in every organization. You go into any locker room, coaches and players alone, forget about support staff and front office and executives Coaches and players alone, you're talking about 100 people. 100 people, like between injury reserve and everything, you got, and practice squad, you probably got 70-something players and 20-something coaches. Now, you expect 100 people from different backgrounds, different races, different religions, different parts of the country, different positions, different races to get along? I mean, you think these locker rooms are kumbaya? Come on. Of course they aren't. Of course they aren't. So, again, I know Tyler Dunn. He's a fine writer. I mean, I just think that some of this is like, what are, we, what are you harping on here? What's the takeaway people are having with this article? That Mike and Aaron had a stale relationship? Sure. That Aaron can be difficult with some players, you know, over time and had relationships that were better with some than others? Of course. But, you know, dictating term, I, I just think some of it's overblown. Anyway, and for anyone to think that any locker room around the NFL is kumbaya, come on. I mean, it's easier in basketball with 12 players and baseball with 25 players, but football with that conglomeration. I mean, they're position groups. They're defensive backs that have never spoken offensive linemen, and I think in every locker room. 
where you're not, you know, you're just in a different area. Like, okay, that's my rant of the week. Now let's get in nitty gritty here. Let's go inside the Cowboys, uh, $65 million over three, $85 million contract with Demarcus Lawrence, one of the big deals of the year. And we have a unique opportunity to go inside the deal with the agent for Demarcus Lawrence. Without further ado, let's get to David Cantor. Yeah, really great to have my friend David Cantor on the podcast. And before we get inside 100, this $100-plus plus million deal with Demarcus Lawrence and inside the negotiations with the Cowboys, Dave, it's been a busy offseason. You know, what's going on with Weddle, Eric Weddle, and Olivia Vernon? Talk about your offseason before we get to the most recent uh, activity you got. You know, it's interesting. It's it's things that you don't necessarily think are going to pop up that always right. end up changing the dynamic of, of your day-to-day schedule. I, I always say, Brian McIntyre and I always joke, we can't have nice things. You know, one <laughs> day we can be on, on cloud nine and happy as can be, and then the next thing you know, a player gets cut or a player gets hurt or a player gets traded. And so with Olivier, we had heard kind of the rumors all the way back to November of last year that he, that he didn't fit uh, James's defense in, in New York and that there were people in the front office that didn't think he was going to be there after this year. And it really crystallized uh, at the combine. We were at the pro bowl and we talked a little bit about it. And it's, it's just coincidental that those three guys went to the pro bowl this year, all of them yeah. for the first time together. Um, and so the whole off season, I don't, I, I don't, I don't even know what an off season is anymore in our right. industry. I don't think we actually have an off season uh, when you represent players because you're either going to sign new guys, meeting with veterans that are thinking about switching agents. So you're flying around the country, having those type of meetings, you're meeting your current clients, talking about their free agency that's coming up. You're going to either college all-star games or for, in my case, I went from college all-star games, right to the pro bowl, right to the super bowl. And so you don't really get an off season. And then you go right to the combine, combine finishes, you go back home, you start free agency, free agency, the middle of free agency, you start going to pro days and pro days, you know, here we are in April getting ready for the draft in two weeks and we're doing a, we're doing a contract signing today. So I haven't had an off season yeah. in 23 years and, and I haven't complained about it once. I'm pretty blessed that I'm able to do this, but with Weddle and Olivier, we had heard rumors about Olivier possibly getting traded or even outright released. And, and we had a lot of teams sniffing around um, the outright release component, going back to the Pro Bowl. Just people text you and ask you, and you know this, they're just doing yeah. due diligence. doesn't necessarily mean they're interested. It just means that they want to know. They want to have a leg up on the competition. They want to have their guns ready if they have to go to battle and, and put together a contract proposal quickly on what kind of structure and things like that. And then with Weddle, that one was completely different than anything I've ever been involved with in my career. Eric played a playoff game in Baltimore against his former team, even though they're now the LA chargers. And the next day he and Eric DaCosta are very close. I was in town and he, I said, let's go to breakfast before my flight. And he goes, well, I'm going to go to the facility. I'm going to pack up some of my stuff, uh, get ready for the off season. He lives in San Diego during the off season. And his wife and kids had already moved back. And he said, after the meeting, he goes, man, Eric talked to me about a pay cut. Hmm. And I, I remember I remember looking at Eric Weddle like 
he had 10 eyes. And I was like, what? I was like, you just had the number one pass defense in football, the number one total defense in football. You're going to your sixth Pro Bowl. They don't cut guys like you. And he's like, no. He goes, I don't, I don't know. He goes, but you know what? If, if, if he cuts me, you know, it's been a great run. I'm comfortable hanging it up. I'm comfortable moving on. Chanel, the kids will be happy. It's been an amazing ride. And I'm like, Eric, you've got football left in you. Like, you're still really good. And you do unique things that most free safeties in football don't really do. And so I left Baltimore. I remember getting on the plane, just kind of shaking my head in early January, like, ah, you can't be kidding me that this is the way Eric Weddle's career is going to end. And so that took me into the offseason. And then you get to the combine, and you know this, Andrew. You know, agents yeah. ask you for meetings, and agents ask you to sit yep. down and talk. And, and, and sometimes the schedule works, and sometimes the schedule doesn't work. And, and I wanted to sit down with Eric DaCosta to try to get a, a leg up and an idea of, of where we stood with Eric Weddle and, and Matt Skura. I represent the starting center on the Ravens, too, Matt Skura. And I want yeah. Matt's going into a contract situation with an exclusive rights tender, and he's clearly worth more than just the exclusive rights tender. He played more snaps, by the way, than any player in the NFL last year, Andrew. And uh, Eric DaCosta couldn't meet with me. Just schedules hmm. didn't permit. We weren't able to get together. It didn't work. So in my mind, that meant we had nothing to talk about, that we were good, that we were clean, that everything was going to happen fine, and that Eric would be back for his fourth year of his contract and he'd be going playing for the Ravens. And I think I got home on, a, on the Monday night of the Combine and started talking to Olivier about some of the rumors that I had heard regarding the trade. And, and I knew the Browns were strong in their interest for Olivier. And still have the whole DeMarcus thing going on and then still had a whole, a whole mess of other players that, that haven't gotten contracts, which is something we should talk about. Right. It's, it's a major problem in the NFL right now with veteran guys that are, are not getting deals because they can trade compensatory picks and teams don't want to give the middle, the middle market money anymore because they're worried about losing a fifth or a sixth round compensatory. Right. And, Eric DaCosta calls me. I'm in the middle of a conference call with Brian McIntyre and Demarcus Lawrence talking about our, our, our post-combine wrap-up and, and where we were and what I thought would happen, etc. And everything that I thought would happen, obviously, hasn't happened since we signed the deal. And so Eric DaCosta calls me, and, he, and I go to Demarcus, hey, give me a second, this is the Ravens general manager. I hang up the phone with Demarcus, and Eric DaCosta goes, hey, I just hung up the phone with Eric. I wanted to call you personally and let you know we're going to release him today. And I mean, I just, it crushed me. You know, normally a player gets cut and you're like, okay, Hey, you know, we appreciate everything. I remember Derek Shelby. We knew he was probably going to get released in Atlanta two years ago at the combine. So I, I actually asked Thomas Dimitrov to do it while we were in Indianapolis so that I can get teams lined up. And then four hours later ended up having a glass of wine with Thomas Dimitrov and Nick Polk from the Falcons and, and Dan Quinn and, you know, just being social because it's just business. It wasn't personal. And then three weeks later, Derek Shelby re-signed with the Falcons. So hmm. it, this, one, this one hit me like a ton of bricks, probably because I really didn't know if there were going to be teams that felt about Eric the way I felt about Eric and if there was going to be a market for him. 
And so I, I went inside my house. I spoke to my wife and my kids. My, my oldest son, Asher, 10 years old, was really upset because he's pretty close with Eric's son, Gage. And he didn't, he didn't really understand what getting cut meant. And he didn't know that it didn't mean that they wouldn't get to see each other anymore. Um, and so I text message. I have a list on my phone uh, of every GM, their personal private cell phone number. And then mm-hmm. in a separate kind of text message group I have every head coach. And so I text message those two head coaches probably about 6.05, 6.10 p.m. And by 7 o'clock, I had over 20 responses. Hmm. A, lot of them, a lot of them were, wow, did you see that coming? Or, man, yeah. that guy can still play. Or we would be interested. Or when is it official? You know, things like that. And it, was, it wasn't... It wasn't just like one word text messages back. It was interesting text messages back, which I wish I had saved. I should have saved them all, but I get too many text messages every day to to keep them all on my phone. And so I called Eric Weddle and we had a little moment where we visited and we have a really unique, close relationship. And he's one of the most incredible, if not the most incredible human beings I've ever been in touch with in, in my entire life, let alone my 23 years. And I said, Hey, if you want to keep going, bro, there's interest. And he goes, well, well, who? And I said, well, this one's pretty interesting. This, this is, this is Les Snead from the Rams. And this is Kevin Demoff from the Rams. And this is Sean McVay from the Rams. And all three of them have texted me back. And he goes, wow, that would be crazy, huh? He goes, what do you think? I said, I, you know, I don't know. I said, I, I heard they might let Marcus Joyner walk. Um, might make sense. Let's see what happens. And then we went into that night. He didn't, he got, you know, this Andrew for, for parliamentary procedures and protocols. He didn't get released that day. It was the next day at four o'clock. And so we started lining up visits and trips with teams and we started talking about numbers. And by the next day, we probably had seven teams willing to pay him in the three or $4 million range. Mm. And that just wasn't, that just wasn't going to make sense for him. He just felt like, you know, if I'm going to play, I think he was on the books for six and a half. He was like, look, if I'm going to play, you know, let's, let's set a hard number. I'm not going to fly around the country and visit seven teams at, at 33, 34 years old. That just doesn't make sense leaving Chanel and the kids. And so we, we figured out a number that he felt comfortable with, which was 5 million. I then revisited with all the teams and some of them dropped out, you know, Hey, let right. us know when it get, if it gets to three and you, you know how that is in this business. And then we had four or five really strong teams in the, in the five plus range and the Rams disappeared for a little bit. And hmm. I actually remember telling Eric, I'm like, Hey, I think, you know, Les needs on the road. He's traveling. He's in, he's in Auburn today for a pro day. I, I just don't think the Rams are interested. And he goes, gosh, that would have been cool, huh? He goes, get to play with a genius like McVay and, and, and Wade. And, and I know that defense and we've got JB there, you know, Joe Barry, the linebackers coach who, who he'd been with in San Diego. He goes, that would have been neat to be able to live at home and, and drive up to LA, come home, you know, on the weekends and see the kids and, and have them be close and finish it out where he grew up in Rancho Cucamonga, which is not far from where the Rams play currently. And I said, yeah. And I go, wait, 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 hold on a second. I just got a text message from the Rams. And he goes, really? <laughs> I go, yeah. I go, yeah. It's, uh, it's less need. He says, you know, 5 million actually makes a lot of sense. Can we put together a visit? 
and hmm. 24 hours later it was done. And it, 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 it literally went from, they were probably not going to be able to do it. They were probably not going to be interested to it getting done a, a day later. And How long between the, the call from Eric DaCosta and signing with the Rams? Uh, I believe the call with Eric DaCosta was Tuesday. He did not get officially released until Thursday. The Ravens have a new front office person and in the portal system to release a player. He should have been released on Wednesday, so he could have signed on on Thursday after four. Or he, I mean, he could have signed on Wednesday after four. He, he was actually not put into the portal system until Thursday. So he went to dinner with the Rams that night, had his physical and his visit with them the next morning, and the deal was done before he got his car service back to San Diego that day. And I wasn't did, he, mess around. did he have bigger he, offers than the Rams? Yeah, way bigger. Yeah, way bigger. Uh, and he just wanted a to play million, there. A, a couple million a year more bigger. Wow. In a no, in a no state tax. Yeah. In yeah. A, in a, and in a no tax state, I'm sorry. And so he, he had bigger, but it didn't, it really, you know, it really didn't make sense once him and Sean McVay got together. They, they were having never really met and spent any real time together. They were instantaneously two peas in a pod. They, they, they love ball. They love to talk ball. They love to watch film. They loved the, the chess match of the, the game within the game. And I think that, that for Eric's football life, it will, it will really crystallize what a special player he is by being with a coach who's as cerebral as he is. And, and so I'm, I'm excited. It, it, honestly, I'm super pumped to go to training camp. Normally that's what? not something I ever what? say. Like it's kind of mundane. I'm I'm really excited to see what they're like together in training camp. What was it like, though? Is that, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, two years in a row, a player like Eric Weddle told, we're not going to need your services anymore. I mean, you don't get much information from the teams, right? They just want to move on, not tell you too much. That's got to be a hard conversation with the player and the agent has to be there to really support through the process. We uh, <laughs> we almost get no information when a player yeah. gets cut. It, it's weird. It it's it's become kind of inhumane. You know, you've been doing it for a long time. When you were with the team, I think you would always at least try to have try some to. semblance of professionalism or some semblance of emotional humanity to it. I think now that the players are looked at almost as like the table legs at a restaurant. And if that restaurant has a table leg that goes bad, they just go to the back and pick out a new table and put it in the restaurant. And the other one goes in the garbage and it's sad. And it's, it's different than any other sport in the way the players are commodities and not really loved commodities unless they're at the pinnacle or at the, the peak of their career. But even that peak of the career now seems less and less, um, than it did in the old CBA. The, the middle class of this game has evaporated. Uh, I mean, I don't even, I can't even tell you the number yeah. of guys that are down in the in the three to six million dollar a year range. Those guys almost don't exist anymore. Um, you've seen a lot of one year deals that you never normally would see. 
you're seeing a lot of really quality players that are basically out of football or having to beg for contracts at age 28, 27, 29. And so there's a lot of problems with our sport. I actually think it actually hurts the quality of the play of the game. Um, it seems to me, you know, and I write and talk about this a lot. We can have a CBA podcast that can go on for two months. I know, and I, a, I guess what I have happened, a lot of ideas and concepts for how we can fix football, but I do think there are parts of this game that are broken. You know, it's interesting hearing because I write and talk about this so much in terms of you're always going to get the stars. The stars are going to get paid, and the, I call them the golden ticket winners, like some of the guys you've had with Olivier and now Demarcus. But then, because of the rookie contracts being so fixed and reasonable, and such a easy labor contract value, you're right. You're squeezing out the middle, and teams will go young. And the waiver wire is full of veterans that don't have guarantees and just sort of discard it. And you're experiencing it now on all sides. You said you have a you have a bunch of guys still waiting to get signed, and they're shut out for these very reasons. I'll, I'll read you my client list of jobless veterans. Okay. Benson Mayowa is 27 years old, had his best, most productive season in the NFL last year, playing less than 50% of the snaps for the Arizona Cardinals. Does not have a job, not because we've set his price too high, but because I've legitimately had a half dozen teams tell me they want to wait until post-draft. May 8th is the actual date. I should never know that date because that's when the compensatory pick formula expires post-draft and they can start signing him. Lance Kendricks, former Packer, your team, had one of his best years ever last year. Jobless, tight end, deep tight end class, deep tight end market, and people are going more towards the blocking tight end. Doma Tapeka only does not have a job for one reason, his birthday. Guy was a dominant player, has only missed, I think, three games in 11 or 12 years, has never had a major surgery, never missed a game, doesn't have a job because he's 34 years old. J.J. Wilcox. Mm. Older player, 30-year-old safety, should, or 29-year-old safety, ha- should have five jobs already. Tyler Patman, nickel, dime guy, should have, should have two or three jobs and has been on a visit before and is actually willing to take an MSB because he wants to get into an off-season program, but it just hasn't materialized. Then you've got Deontay Thompson, was cut, signed a big deal in Dallas last year, cut towards the end of the season, got picked up in Buffalo, ended up making more money by getting cut and is waiting out there on the street. And Dayton Jones, just a former first-round pick, Green Bay Packers, yeah. with some injury history. Nor, in, in, for me to have that conversation on a national podcast on April 9th, that any one of those guys doesn't have a job, let alone all of those guys, is mind-blowing to me. Brian now, you, mentioned, you mentioned the, the MSB one. There's $600 million in cap space left. But teams just aren't spending it. That's a whole other issue they just why they're spending. Not, not spending their cap room. Yeah. But you mentioned MSB, for those listening, it's minimum salary benefit. Are these guys getting oh, offers sorry. that just aren't good enough for them, or are they just not even getting any offers? No, some guys are not even getting any offers. Okay. I mean, legitimately not getting a phone call because teams are not willing either to pay older players or they're not willing to mess with the compensatory pick formula. I, this year, more than any year ever, 
And last year it started, but this year it really, I've had more teams tell me I can't mess up my comp pick formula. And, and you know this, Andrew, this is all I do. This is 24, seven, three, six, five, my life. Yeah. So when you have a guy like Domic Topeka or Lance Kendricks or Benson on the street, yeah, they're calling all the time, every, right? It's an everyday thing. So yeah. I'm, I'm not necessarily calling them every day, but I'm texting GMs. I'm texting D coordinators. I'm texting D line coaches, tight end coaches, offensive coordinators, guys that they've coached, that have coached them before. Hey, you don't have this in your building. We have a, we have a team right now with Benson Mayoa that we're hung up on value on a one-year, basically, I don't want to say insulting because it's a million dollars, but a million-dollar yeah. deal. And their issue is they can't give him hard cash dollars up to $2 million. They just won't do it. And I'm like, guys, he walks in your building today. He's your only starting defensive end. You actually don't have one on your roster right now. And they're like, yep, yeah, but we've got other holes to fill, and it's a deep rookie class, and we'll just draft a couple of them. And I'm like, right. even if you draft a couple of them, defensive ends don't automatically learn how to play the game as rookies. There's a huge curve. Not every guy is Bradley Chubb the minute they walk in the building. Yeah. So that is what Yeah, it this is. is frustrating. And then, I mean, by listen, the way, we, we didn't even talk about, as, as Weddle's deal is happening, yeah. Olivier's trade happens. Yeah, you mentioned the Giants' D coordinator, you know, I mean, this was a major, as you know better than anyone, a major free agent signing a couple of years ago. And they're souring on yeah. him this year? Well, there's been a front office change. You know, right. Jerry Reese is the one that signed Olivier with Kevin Abrams. Kevin is still yeah. there. Yeah. And Jerry's obviously no longer there. And now Dave Gettleman is there. And then when we signed with the Giants, Ben McAdoo was the head coach. Uh, and then obviously he was terminated and they brought in Pat Shermer and they changed, they changed over the way they run the defense, which I think is crazy because we all know that football is now nickel 60 to 70% nickel and dime 60, 70% of snaps. All these teams are basically running the same defense. And it it was disappointing for Olivia. I, I, he wanted to stay in New York. He loved the city. He loved the fans. He loved the culture. He didn't obviously like losing, but he had a lot of good friends on that team. And obviously last year they started to dismantle it early on with the trade, you know, Eli Apple and then Damon Harrison and, and some guys that got cut. Right. And certainly the Odell rumors, you know, weren't put to rest. Um, and then the Cleveland trade happened and, and I had noticed Dave Gettleman and John Dorsey talking on TV while watching the combine. I think that's Saturday morning. And, and you know Dorsey really well. I think you hired him, um, right. or he was in the building for with you for a long time. You know, John yeah, ten years, nine years. Yeah, unique. What's that? Nine years with John. That's correct. Yeah. So, so you know, John's a unique guy. To, to say the word special about John is isn't doing the word special a disservice. It's probably doing John a disservice. He, he's one of the more unique, blunt, football lifers in this game. And, and so I text messaged John. It's funny to say text message John because you don't feel him to be a tech-savvy guy, uh, but he is. And I text messaged John as he was talking to Gettleman, and I spent a lot of time trying to get an answer out of the Giants on if Olivia was going to be cut at the Combine or if Olivia was going to be traded. And they just gave me 
such, they gave me answers that were not lies, but were not truth and let me know that I was right, but they wouldn't confirm that I was right. Do you know what I'm saying, Andrew? Yeah, I get it. I get In in your role. So you you can't confirm that you want to trade the player, but you can't deny that you want to trade the player. You can't confirm that you may cut the player. You can't deny that you may cut the player. And in, and in doing that, James Betcher, the D coordinator, and I spent some time at the Combine talking, and Pat Shermer and I spent some time talking, uh, and Dave Gettleman and I weren't able to link face-to-face, but we talked on text message, and Kevin Abrams and I talked on text message and face-to-face, and I just got the impression that, that Olivier's days were numbered as a giant. But they wouldn't give me permission to help facilitate a trade. Right. And it was interesting, on, on the Friday of the weekend of the Combine, you know, that that's when it all starts going. I mean, I've gotten half a dozen to a dozen players traded at the combine just because I'm there and I'm walking up to teams and I'm saying, Hey, what would it take for so-and-so? Would you give a sixth? Would you give a fifth? Would you give a player? And so when I saw Gettleman and Dorsey sitting together at the combine, watching players run on the Saturday, I text message Dorsey and he ignored it. And then randomly in typical John Dorsey fashion, he called me on Monday morning he was driving back to uh, to Cleveland for something related to his family. He had to leave the combine early, and he says to me, "What are you doing, boy?" And I said, "Yeah, that's John. John. How you doing, man?" I, I said, "What you doing, boy?" And I said, uh, "And you know how he talks." And I said, yeah. "I said nothing, man. How are you?" He goes, "Hey, sorry I couldn't get with you." He goes, "Yeah, you know, Gettleman and I know each other forever. What are you worried about? What are you worried about? Why are you so worried? What are you What are you anxious about, David?" And he, the way he kept saying it. The way he was talking to me about nothing, but there was something behind it, I knew that they were number one for Olivier. He, again, he wouldn't confirm it. He wouldn't deny it. And there's obviously some connections to the University of Miami there with Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith, and I knew that, that Olivier was highly graded coming out of the draft by the Packers when, they, when the, both of those men worked for the Packers, and, and I've got really yep. good relationships with both of them. And so I just mentioned to Olivier – before I got on the plane, I said, hey, listen, just keep this in the back of your head. Cleveland's doing a lot of sniffing, and, and that may happen. And so we, we had a, a team dinner, kind of a client dinner, where we had some rookies in town training for the draft and some veterans in town. And we went out to dinner, and I just pulled Olivier to the side. And I said, hey, listen, you know, I'm getting wind that, that this Cleveland thing may happen, and it, it may happen quickly. The night before the trade, out of nowhere, a reporter who I really never speak to goes, I hear Olivier's getting traded to the Browns tomorrow. And mm-hmm. I was like, confirmed? And he goes, yes, for the guard. And, and at, up until this time, we had never heard it was a player for a player trade. Um, and so I called Olivier and I said, hey, just so you know, I think tomorrow you're going to get traded to the Browns. And, you know, one of these things that you try to do as an agent, Andrew, and you don't always accomplish it, accomplish it is prepare your players for the unknown and prepare your players for what may happen. And so at about 11 in the morning, Olivier text messaged me. And as he's texting me, Kevin Abrams calls me. Hmm. And I go, I actually answered the phone and I go, so you traded him to the Browns for the guard. And he goes, how the hell do you, he goes, how the hell do you know that? And I go, I don't get paid to not know. Right. 
And he goes, yeah, I just, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to call him here in a second. You know, I think Pat's on the phone with him and, and Dave are going to call him right now. You know, I wish it was different. You know, we'll, we'll catch up later on, but, but that is confirmed. If you yeah. could keep that out of the media, I appreciate that. And then of course, you know how things are in the media. 20 seconds later, Ian Rappaport's tweeting it out from someone else. Right. And so that adjustment was hard. You know, you go to Cleveland, you never been to Cleveland, you don't know really a lot of people in Cleveland. Um, and so we talked about some strategies, talked about whether we would consider doing a, a revision to his contract. And, and we were adamant that the marketplace was higher than his salary, which, you know, puts him in line with the market. He's at 15, five this year and felt like this might be a great opportunity with, with a really talented defense and a lot of good players. And then of course, Odell happens a couple of days yeah. later and it, it, it ends up getting, you know, commingled so that the trade is Odell, uh, and Zeitler and Peppers and Vernon and a little swap of some picks, I think. And, uh, and so you're part of a little historical trade and, and then your client has to adjust and has to learn a new city and has to decide where to live. And, and so that throws him into a whirlwind. I mean, Olivier's still a really young guy who's been really blessed to make a lot of money. And so we're, we're still dealing with that adjustment with him. You know, I was on the phone with him a lot last night, actually, when I landed here in Dallas, just about, you know, his first weeks in Cleveland and, and how things were going and actually spoke to John Dorsey last night about it and, and had him reach out to Olivier to chat a little bit. And while all that's going on, you're, you're trying to negotiate a franchise tag deal for DeMarcus Lawrence. Yeah. I mean, before we get to, to DeMarcus, just to close on Olivier, you know, you're sort of right that the Odell trade overshadows everything, but this is a massive trade of a player that's now going to an air, a new team. And I think people don't realize what you just talked about. Like they sort of see the trade, then they're on to the next and wow, Odell too. And all the, and, Everyone says that Cleveland's so exciting and they've got the, their favorites in the division now. But the human side of it has got to be tough, especially, as I said earlier, this was a marquee signing for the Giants, albeit a different administration. But all of a sudden, he's now in a new place and that's got to be hard. And I think your role's important there. Yeah, it is. And I think the players that don't have agents or don't think agents are as necessary <clears throat> most likely don't have someone that either spends as much time trying to be a part of their life as I do, or doesn't right. really care on the level that I do. Um, and I don't know that that makes me better than anyone else or worse than anyone else, Andrew. I think that it's just the way I came up in this business and the, and the things that have happened to me professionally with a bad partnership and having 70 plus players stolen from you. And then the vision that you have for the, the agency that you create again, after you realize that, you know, this is your life's calling. And so yeah. I, I look at my job as a life manager. I look at my job as, as a, a professional who is here to help men achieve their family and their lifelong dreams. And if I don't have a client that wants those things, he's not going to be the right client for me. And, and I fired clients in the past and I, I've gotten fired by clients in the past where it just doesn't fit. Some guys either don't want to talk to their agent at all, or some guys don't want a helping hand or some guys don't want advice. You know that you've been around players yeah. that they've got all the tools in the world and they just don't want to listen. They don't, they don't care. Um, and those guys don't usually last very long in the NFL. And, and I've always said this, 
you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I have a, a beautiful family, a wife that's incredibly supportive, and she spends a lot of time alone with yeah. not being around with three little boys. And I'm very lucky in the sense that I don't want to represent people who can't come to my home, meet my wife and my three sons, and be a part of our family instantaneously. And if that, that doesn't fit, if our, our mores don't, vibe and gel, then that player is probably not for me. I don't yeah. represent a lot of the biggest names in football, but I represent a lot of the highest paid guys, right? And there's a difference. Just because you got a big name and a big Instagram following doesn't mean you make big money. But right. I think that our client list is really special and really unique. And a lot of guys that have done things that most players that play their positions or most players that play in the NFL have never done. I mean, I've had undrafted free agents make over $20 million a year. I've had you know guys like Paul Soliai get franchise tag after being the most fined player in Dolphins history for doing dumb things like you know skipping out on workouts and stuff with his previous agent. And, and I've seen our representation change, change men's lives and change their families' lives. And, and DeMarcus is definitely one of those guys, you know. I, I've known DeMarcus since he's 12 years old. Um... And I represented Since 12 years old? Marcus Lawrence. Yeah, I, so I, I've represented Marcus Lawrence, who was the number one senior linebacker in the nation coming out in the 2005 draft. And mm-hmm. he had a sports hernia injury that went undiagnosed for three years and actually cost him uh, being drafted. He, he ended up being undrafted. Played in the Senior Bowl, Combine, you know, first team All-SEC, all that crazy stuff. But we didn't know what sports hernias were back in 2003, four, and five. And so uh, Marcus Lawrence, nicknamed Truck, is the first cousin of Demarcus Lawrence, nicknamed Tank. Uh, and they're both from Aiken, South Carolina, or outside of Aiken, South Carolina, uh, little town. And Troy Williamson is from that area also. Troy was my seventh overall pick in the 05 draft. And so Demarcus. You know, was there. Demarcus was at draft parties. Demarcus was at barbecues and cookouts with the family in South Carolina. And, and I said this at dinner last night when I made my toast. You know, this is this is a long, special relationship of a of a man who I've known since he was a boy, a young man, and who has persevered. He was a JUCO kid. You know, went to Butler Community College in the middle of nowhere in Kansas and then went to Boise State University, kind of in the middle of America, in Idaho, that not a lot of people know, and then, you know, talked to me about coming out early when Coach Peterson left and, and left to go to Washington, where he is still, and came out early and had to overcome some hurdles of, of some immaturity issues in college and, and some suspensions in college and gets to the NFL and, and literally his first training camp, you know, gets a gets a fracture in his foot and has to have a foot operation and misses basically half the season. Has a thumb surgery, gets to the NFL, plays through some injuries, and you know basically breaks his back. Has to have a back surgery. Then the back surgery fails. The disectomy has to have another back surgery, and then ends up getting healthy and and blossoming into the player that we know, but, but what I told, I toasted DeMarcus and I'll toast him again and I'll toast him for the rest of his life is not really on what a great football player he is, but what an incredibly strong and physically and mentally strong human being he is. The perseverance is the word to describe DeMarcus Lawrence. He plays with reckless abandon and passion 
that you very rarely see. He plays end-to-end football from the left side of the line all the way 25 yards down the you know end of the field, making tackles on run plays and, and tracking guys from behind. And he's just a, a tough son of a gun as it relates to being able to play through injuries that would cripple most other people. And, and that's why he got paid more than anything. You know, physically, he's never going to be the most impressive guy off the bus. You know, athletically, he's not going to have the biggest 40 or the best short shuttle or jump out of the building or the biggest bench press. And it, I, I will tell you this, Andrew, it's, it's 10.07 a.m. in Dallas right now. I'm in Frisco, mm-hmm. Texas. And in two hours, I'm going into the star to sign this contract that I never thought we would be signing. I never once believed that the Dallas Cowboys would take care of DeMarcus like they did. What happened? Huh. <laughs> what happened? I mean, well, he was franchised he last ball. year. He's franchised this year. What got negotiations yeah, I mean, going? How many, how many guys in the NFL, and I, I don't know, you guys could probably research it. How many guys in the NFL have ever been franchise tagged twice? And then how many of those guys have actually gotten a deal done? I mean, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I can't even think one of hand. the guys that have done it. I know Anthony Spencer never got a long-term deal done here in Dallas. He got franchised twice. I know Kirk Cousins never got a long-term deal done. He got franchised right. twice. I know Le'Veon Bell got right. franchised twice, and we all know what happened there. So I don't know of too many players that have had this happen to them, one being franchised twice you- and, two, and then two being able to get a deal done, right? Did so you expect what this happened just is, the, the tag? I'm sorry? All year? Did you just expect he'd play under the tag this year? What happened? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, so this, you know, obviously this is, a, again, a planning thing that agents and players talk about. And it, yeah. it goes back to last year. When we got the first tag, the first offer from the Cowboys was so bad and so low that we had no choice but to just eat the tag and eat it fast. It was, listen, you made a million dollars last year. You're coming off of injuries. You had 14 and a half sacks. They're, they're never going to pay you off of one year. Structurally, they have other things going on. Let's just sign it and let's play it out. We'll get some insurance. We'll protect you. And, and we'll just play it and, and, and see what happens. And DeMarcus was totally gung-ho about it. He embraced it. He obviously went out and played again and dominated and had a great season and bared the risk of injury. And as soon as we had not spoken to the Cowboys, I I had not spoken to the Cowboys about a contract for DeMarcus since March of last year until basically March of this year. And I, you know, I probably saw them a dozen times, I, you know, between training camp and visiting them on the road and seeing DeMarcus here in Frisco and going to games here in Dallas. I mean, there were ample opportunities to just even have a brief chat. Like, hey, you know, we're thinking it's going to be in the 18-a-year range, you know, once January comes and we want to get it done fast before we have to use the second tag. None of those conversations happened. Mm. And so Brian and I started talking about, well, you know, they're going to franchise him a second time because guys like DeMarcus don't get to the market anymore. And we right. have a, another two-hour podcast about, you know, the problems with the franchise and the transition tags and, and all those things, but we won't. Right. And so when we got to the combine in March, and, and I had a very contentious face-to-face with Stephen Jones out socially one night where we've known each other so long that I think we can, we can MF each other 
and still be friends. Uh-huh. And, and we did. We we were both out socially. You know, I had a glass of wine in my hand. I think he had a glass of Johnny Walker Blue in his. And it got real, real nasty, real quick. And not in, in what bad, way? Not in Why, the way nasty? you can't Why put nasty? it back together. What was that, Andrew? How? In what way nasty? Just over the value of the player. You know, hey, hey, we're not going to pay him twenty million a year. He's not worth it. He's not Von Miller. He's not Khalil Mack. He's not Aaron Donald. He's not getting twenty million a year. And my answer was, you're right. He's getting twenty point five seven one million a year because he's going to get a second franchise tag. And so there, then it was like, well, then let him come in and sign it, and he'll just play under the tag. And I was like, well, no, 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 no. We're we're not doing what we did last year. This year. And I think the Cowboys probably would have been happy with that. They would have been ecstatic that if he had just agreed to come in the building, sign the tag, and play, they could have, you know, eaten the twenty point five million, but they would have obviously had, you know, no liability going further. And you know these teams love and this isn't just the Cowboys, this is every team. Teams love year to year deals. They love right. having that annual control of a player. You probably invented that back in Green Bay, you son of a gun. <laughs> um, no comment. And so yeah, exactly. No comment. And so definitely, we were definitely, you were definitely one of the architects, but that's not your fault. That's the system's fault. And so the players let the teams run roughshod over them because they have mismanaged their union for 10 years plus. So uh, I only wish Gene Upshaw was still alive, but that's another conversation for another day. That's so another podcast. Right? And we, yeah, we'll do another a, a, a dedication to Gene Pod. Um, and we get to the combine and we have our sit down meeting that the next day on the bus. And obviously it's a much more friendly atmosphere. We're not social out. We're not cursing at each other and hugging each other. And, and Steven and I, I think, I don't know that he doesn't have this relationship with a lot of other agents, but I don't know that he does. We, I think we have a pretty open, friendly relationship. We, we can have a social drink with each other and we can talk player values and we can talk football and we can talk family and at the same time, we could slap each other on the back and, and curse at each other like two friends can and then, and then part ways, no hard feelings. But this is not a normal negotiation. This isn't David Cantor versus Andrew Brandt, a salaried employee who's a cap guy or a, a team contract guy versus David Cantor who's a contract advisor. This is, this is David Cantor, a player agent, versus a billion-dollar owner of an NFL team. And that changes the dynamic on a level that most agents never get to experience. You know this because you've worked for teams and you've been around the league for 30 years. Most owners don't get involved in negotiations. Right. In, In DeMarcus Lawrence's case, I'm not talking to anyone but Steven Jones. It's not like I could bounce things off of a third party in the building and then say, Hey, do me a favor, you know, back channel this to upper management and see if this makes sense. This is a cold cut and dry, very, very, uh, kind of sputtering type negotiation. It, you, you negotiate for seven or 10 minutes and then he's on to other things. He's got to run a billion dollar, $5 billion franchise. Right. And so they've got other things in, in the works, the Jones family. They're not, they're not messing around. And they've been traditionally for the last 20 years, the best at business of football, maybe not the best at winning games, but the best at the business of the NFL. So you're talking about men that don't lose. 
I mean, I mean, I, I can't. Can you remember the last time Stephen and Jerry Jones took a loss, Andrew? No, it's the highest valuation of any sports franchise in the country, perhaps at least in the NFL. Yeah. We know that, and, and and they don't lose. And so, you know, I had to kind of create an atmosphere around Demarcus, protecting him and isolating him from some of the negative comments that go on during a negotiation. But at the same time, I created a mantra, which was, we will win. And I kept repeating it to his mom, his dad, his financial advisor, Brian, him, his wife, uh, and anyone associated with DeMarcus, we will win. And it wasn't we will win necessarily like we're going to get the biggest deal in NFL history. But where we're going to win is we're going to win comfort. We're going to win you get to make the decision. We're going to win you get to be empowered. We're going to win that you get to be the final arbiter of your future, whether it's asking for a trade, what team you go to get traded to, playing under the tag, accepting a multi-year deal. And so as DeMarcus and I started talking about what this thing looked like, the, the offers were so not there that I just never envisioned that we would get a deal done. And at the same time, I'm still trying to back channel with the Cowboys to get them to push their numbers up, to get them to change their structure, to get them to look at things differently. And I think our holdup was Khalil Mack. Um, In what way? Khalil Mack's deal, well, Khalil Mack's deal is very unique. It's a seven-year mm-hmm. deal that rolled in his fifth-year option. Khalil right. was the defensive player of the year, and he was a fifth overall pick. And he obviously had never been suspended like DeMarcus had, and he'd never had multiple back surgeries like DeMarcus had. And so when you play the edge position and you're comparing apples to oranges, Khalil Mack doesn't play the run, doesn't really have to play the run like DeMarcus has to play the run. So that would be my argument that DeMarcus is better than Khalil. Well, Khalil Max had five years in a row of 10-plus sacks. That would be their argument that DeMarcus is not as good as Khalil. Well, DeMarcus, you know, has had surgeries. Khalil hasn't. And that, you know, that would go back and forth. And so we started on a six-year structure, pretty much along the lines of what Von Miller did on his franchise tag three years ago. And then we exchanged some proposals, and the new 2019 league year came out after we got the franchise tag. And very quickly, Brian and I adjusted our proposal to the 2019 cap, and we saw what Trey Flowers got, and we saw the five-year structure that looked very similar to what we had done for Olivier Vernon back in 2016 that Trey used to do his deal. And we started talking to DeMarcus about a shorter-term deal, which, of course, doesn't get you the big bells and whistles of, of fake rolling guaranteed deals. Mm-hmm. Which you know those 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 guarantees aren't real guarantees; they're injury only guarantees. And I said to Demarcus and I said to Brian, you know, at some point in time we might have to consider just a four. I don't know that the Cowboys will do a four, but we're at a six. And at the right before the owners' meetings, I started talking to teams about a trade, and I felt really strongly about one team. We started negotiating a deal for that team, and I think the numbers scared them. But at no point in time were we pushing to get more than Khalil from the Cowboys? I think that's important. The only way we were going to get more than Khalil was if we had gotten to the market, the open market in March. And, and I think we had a team that would have done a deal at $24 million a year 
which is just above Khalil's deal on a five or a six year structure, similar to Khalil. You share that team? The Cal- I'm sorry? You share who that team was? No, only because they've, they've signed some other defensive ends that have short term deals, and I don't want those guys to be looking over their shoulder next year. It's not fair to them. Understood. Understood. And, and and honestly, it's not fair to the GM because, you know, he, he told me some things privately that, that he knew wasn't going to happen. So who knows if that's re- the reality versus, you know, the, the, the likelihood. Um, and so let we, me ask you this. When you talk tag, about when you when you talk about markers that you look for as an agent in this kind of deal and you're talking about Donald and you're talking about Mac and the two deals that came out with flowers. And so are you looking at full guarantees or are you looking at total guarantees, including the rolling? Are you looking at a three-year number? Are you looking at yeah, him coming off so $20 us, million? For us, the two-year number and the three-year number were all that mattered. Okay. And, and, and on a six-year deal, I wanted to incorporate a, a rolling guarantee like Khalil and Donald have with an early trigger for the fourth year. Steven, when we eventually started talking about that, it was never going to happen. And aggressively and thankfully, the Cowboys moved off the six-year. Um, but they did not change their money. And when they didn't change their money and they looked at our proposal, and our proposal was in the six-year structure at 22 a year with 80 in guarantees, mm-hmm. it, got, it got nasty on a phone call. And I, and I said to DeMarcus, before the owners' meetings, I said two things are going to happen here. Either you're going to get traded at the owners' meetings. Doesn't mean that the trade will actually happen until the draft, but they're going to be discussing it. Right. Or we're going to probably end up having to play this thing out. You'll miss April, May, June, July. We won't get a deal done by July 15th. Training camp will open in July. You'll be at home or training wherever you're going to be. And on the Saturday prior to the regular season opening, you'll go in and sign your contract. You know, maybe you'll be on pop for the first month of the season because you won't have had a whole training camp. Maybe you won't. And uh, and if you miss some time, you miss some time. You know, that's that. We're, they have their rules. We have our rules, and, and we're gonna we're gonna use them to our advantage. And so Demarcus was totally on board with it. He would have he would have a hundred percent. He even said it last night. I would have missed all of April, May, June, July, and August. And just played it out, signed it. There was no way we were ever to turn down twenty point five million dollars for one year. You know, this wasn't going to be like Le'Veon Bell situation. Yeah, you're not we doing Le'Veon Bell here. Yeah, we, we would forego you know that kind of guaranteed money. It just th- those numbers don't happen often enough in the NFL that you can you can let them go by the wayside. And then we would have the surgery in January of next year. You know, he played on the shoulder all last year, so it's not like the surgery. People made the surgery bigger than it is. He needs it because the Cowboys want him to have it, but he didn't need it to play football. Does that make sense? Okay. Like he can, he had ten and a half sacks with 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 one arm last year. Um, with, would he with, be getting know, the surgery the if he didn't do the deal? Would he be getting the surgery? He would not get the surgery until after the season. If we had okay. gone the if we had gone the not sign the tag until the first day of the regular season route. He would then play the season with with the with the shoulder torn, and then have it right at the end of the season. So he'd be right, you know, he'd be ready for his new team. And we knew the Cowboys weren't going to tag him a third time, right? That number's twenty nine million or twenty eight right. change. So for us, two year cash flow, fully guaranteed money, early trigger, fully guaranteed money were really what mattered. And 
we went back and forth with the Cowboys, um, and, and we basically had about a week of no communication. Some things started to leak out locally here in the media that, of course, you know I see, and, and namely reporters who have no, no job reporting other than they're just spewing out some nonsense line that somebody in the building has fed them. And it was, you know, Panther doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, I don't know yeah. what I'm doing. I set the defensive end market in 2016. Like, I created the $17 million year edge rusher. There was none before Olivier Vernon. Now there's five or six. So I don't right. know what you're talking about. Uh, or maybe there's nine or ten. So, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. I created the freaking market for crying out loud. Oh, Canner has a terrible relationship with the Cowboys and Demarcus Lawrence needs to change agents. And, you know, it's like, dude, call me. Like, at least fact check your nonsense that you're putting out there in the ether. And so, you know, DeMarcus was starting to get pissed off, and rightfully so. You know, people are saying bad things about him. It's his name and his reputation, and obviously it's my name and my reputation, and I think we're pretty close. And so I said, you know what, we, we got to have a call. You, me, you, and Steven need to get on the phone. He's like, yeah, we need to make that happen. So due to travel and due to his schedule with spring break with his kids, he was out of the country. Uh, I was on the road on the West Coast in Utah and in Boise for pro days. And coincidentally, we both ended up being in Boise last Tuesday, a week ago today. We had breakfast in the morning together before he flew to California to, to train. And um, I said, I'm going to get this call going. Let's try to get it tomorrow. And then I looked at my flight schedule and it just didn't make sense. And Jason Cohen, who I don't know how well you know him, Andrew, but Jason Cohen's the general counsel for the Cowboys. Yep. He deserves all the credit in the world for being kind of my middleman and pushing really hard to make sure me, Stephen, and DeMarcus got on the phone. That eventually happened on Thursday, and it was, it was as blunt and open a dialogue I've ever had between an ownership and a player. It was, listen, here's what we think of you, DeMarcus. Here's what we don't think of you. Here's what we will do in our contract. And here's what we won't do. And if what we won't do doesn't get it done, we, we get it. We're okay with it. We can deal with it. We'll deal with the repercussions. But we want you here. We love you. We believe in you. We support you. And we would like to make you a cowboy for five or six or seven more years if you want that. Um, and then DeMarcus was unbelievable in the call. He was open. He was honest. He was he was passionate as he always is. And he said his piece. And then I said my piece and I hung up the phone call with the understanding that we would come off our six year proposal and we would put a proposal together more in line with where the Cowboys wanted to be on a five-year deal. And it, it meant coming down a little bit on my APY. It, and I think we came down from 22 to 21.6. Uh, and the Cowboys went from 19 to 20 for the first time they've been at 20 million a year. And very quickly that night after exchanging, I think three proposals around 10 o'clock at night, I knew that we were going to get a deal done. But, or at least and I you were, we were at the two year number and three year number were working, were moving as well. No, no, no. Our two year number and our three year number were still five to $7 million apart in, in both categories, in both years. So I, I couldn't sleep that night. I think I didn't go to bed until about one in the morning. And then my wife claims that I was snoring and kicked me at two. And so from about two until six the next morning, I woke up and I started reading stuff and went into my office and started sketching out ideas. I got in an early workout 
and then I thought like things would happen quickly on Friday and it was radio silence until like one in the afternoon mm. at one or two in the afternoon. We, we sent them a new proposal. Uh, they sent us one back and we kind of closed the gap a little bit, but we weren't really there. And then I had a conversation with Steven where I, for the first time I exposed my numbers. I said, listen, I want to get something done. You want to get something done. I got to have 50 over the first two. And I got to have 66 over the first three. And he goes, I don't know that I can get, he goes, you know what? Let me get with Adam. Adam Proska does their, their cap numbers and, and, and put stuff together. He goes, I'll send you something in an hour. And at three thirty or three forty-five on Friday, they sent me something that went backwards. Hmm. It was four or five million yes less in real money, and it was all earnables in per game rosters. Right, I started that. That's my problem. That's my fault. Yeah, you you're you're the bad guy for that. <laughs> and so, I hate per game rosters on a level that I don't think I hate any other category in contracts more than, and it really set me off. That's why teams I love the markets. What's that, Andrew? Yeah, and the reason you hate them is the reason teams love them. Uh, of course. They're fake. They're not real. They have to be earned. Player's not right. healthy. Player doesn't play. Player doesn't get them. And I, I very rarely employ them in contracts. There's some agencies, that's all they do. That's their modus operandi. I'm the opposite. I like real money. And so I called, I, I called DeMarcus and I said, man, I don't know, bro. I said, I, I'm sorry. I know I got you excited. I thought we were going to get this thing done. You know, the, this, this trigger here right now, this is, this is bad, dude. This is really bad. And he got pissed. Man, then don't be calling me and telling me that we're close when we're not close. It's mm. go backwards. And, and he, I hung up the phone and I, my instinct was we're done. Screw the Cowboys. I'm done. I'm not calling them back. I'm not texting them. This is a bunch of nonsense. They should never have done this. And thank God I didn't listen to myself. I instantaneously text messaged Stephen Jones. With, and this is what I wrote. I said, are we really going to let this happen? We've got so much momentum. We're so close. Please call me. Let's talk this out. And then he didn't respond to my text. Hmm. And about seven minutes later, I walked into the garage. I was at my mother-in-law's house celebrating her birthday. And there were about 15 little kids running around screaming, going crazy. And I called Steven on his personal cell phone. And he didn't answer Four minutes later, he called me back. And as soon as he called me back, I said, I'm not going to acknowledge your most recent proposal. Hey, you wanted 50. You wanted 66. We gave them to you. You got them. You just got to earn them. I said, Stephen, I'm not going to do that. We're not going to play that game. Get me to 50. Get me to 66. And in Steven, to Stephen's full credit, he goes, I won't get you to either number, but I'll get you as close as I can. How about 48 to 65? And I go, I think that'll get it done. Let me talk to the player. Now, understand the entire time we're doing the deal, Andrew, in the back of my mind, I'm still factoring in the 17 we made last year. And so once we got the 31 plus in cash flow this year, which gave us the record for the most first year cash ever, um, 
and we factored into 17, we're at over 48 in the first two years on the new deal. And we're at over 48 in the first two years on this new contract. And we're at over 65 in both in both three-year cash flows. I felt really comfortable selling that to Marcus. We didn't get we didn't get 22 a year, but we got really close on on first three years. We got 24 plus a year in in the first two years, and and I think it's a win-win, a very rare win-win in this business. And then I was literally uh, still negotiating language until like five or six o'clock yesterday. And it, and it doesn't feel real. It still doesn't feel real. Uh, I think it'll feel real here in about an hour because I'm going into the building to sign it. But it's one of those things where you just don't think a deal is going to happen, and then it happens, and you're you're kind of you know speechless. And I appreciate the Cowboys tremendously for stepping up. I think the player appreciates them that he doesn't have the drama of of this lingering for the next couple years. Um, and I think the Cowboys won. They didn't have to pay him, you know, Aaron Donald or, or Khalil Mack money, um, but the and the structure works for them. You know, he's going to get sixty-five million pretty much no matter what. But at the same time, they can get out of it after three years, which is, I think, what teams want to do. Yeah, teams always look for when can we get out of this deal. So, what's the, you know, is it is it thirty-one full skill injury cap guarantee, or is it forty-eight, or is it six? Are these rolling guarantees? How does that work? No, 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 no. So, so it's it's thirty one point one in real cash this year. So right. by December thirty first, I'll have thirty one million. I'll have seventeen million next week. Uh, Seventeen point one million, I think, next week, and then the, the the balance of it during the course of the season. Um, and then it's forty eight fully, sixty five with the early trigger, fifth day of the league year after this season. So either he would get $48 million in his pocket by March 5th next year or March 15th next year. Or, and they would cut him, or he'd get $65 million over the three. And now he's going to get surgery. Tomorrow. Yep. And what's the timing? The Cowboys, what's the timing on that? The Cowboys, the Cowboys were adamant that he has surgery tomorrow. With their doctor, Doctor Cooper, yes. And what's the prognosis there for time? You know, I'm not a doctor, um, and I've heard four weeks. From I've heard six weeks. You know, uh, four months. I, I, you know, what I honestly, I don't know. I think they don't know until they go in there. Yeah. You know. This is a great story. I mean, how does he feel? I mean, you're about to go sign this, and you said family's coming and photo ops and dinners and toasts. I mean, this is really a high point of a career that you guys can celebrate all the hard work he's done and that you got through this negotiation. Like with, like you said, the Cowboys who never lose. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's one of those things where our mantra, we will win. I, I feel like we really won. He doesn't have to leave. He's in a no-state tax on a cash-on-cash -cash actual contract versus contract. DeMarcus makes the most of any player in defensive history in football. So if you, you take out the taxes, the state taxes, obviously. You know, he doesn't have the cost of living of Los Angeles like Aaron Donald has and the 14% tax. He doesn't have the cost of living of Chicago like, like Khalil Mack has and, and their taxes in Illinois. 
Um, he doesn't have to learn a new locker room. He doesn't have to learn a new system. He doesn't have to move. He doesn't have to take his kids out of school. You know, there's a lot of wins for, for a player staying home. And, oh, by the way, he gets to be an iconic Dallas Cowboy for another five years, God willing, and maybe more. So, and, and win. I think this is a team that's on the up. I mean, their defense is special. Yeah. He loves, absolutely loves Rod Marinelli. He has the utmost respect for the Joneses, um, and, and he's really got some really strong relationships in the building. He's kind of the locker room leader. He, he owns this thing called the Hot Boys that, that we trademarked, um, and you know they hand out these necklaces for guys who have Hot Boy-type games. He's got a lot of friends here, and, and he, really, he always said he was going to live in Dallas and Frisco for the rest of his life, and so now he really gets to do that with the financial security that comes with 65 plus the 17 last year. Um, and that's, that's a hell of a lot of money, Andrew, you know, 80 plus million dollars for football players is, is a rare number in, in cash. I mean, it's you like, know, you always yeah, like to, I mean, to compare NFL contracts to major league baseball contracts. Yeah, I know it, it's life changing money. You mentioned he has a financial advisor, any first uses of the money that he's talked about buying a house. Yeah. He's going to buy a house down there. So that'll, that'll be, that'll be, yeah, that'll be step one. Um, but other than that, you know, he's not a he's not that kind of guy where it's like, hey, I'm going to go buy a bunch of things. He he was already in the process of, of building his mom and dad a house back in South Carolina. Um, you know, obviously he's a, a very family oriented guy, um, and and he's going to get he's actually going to legally get married. He's been he's been married basically for ten years with Sasha, um, but their their legal wedding will take place here in May. Um, and I'm excited to be there for that. But other than that, it, it's, he's ready to work. I mean, I, I think yeah. the one thing that I think is exciting for DeMarcus is this is going to be behind him here in about two hours or three hours. And then it's, Hey, let's get the media out of the way. Let's get the surgery out of the way. And let me just go play football. Let me just go yeah. prove to everybody, you know, he, and, and I think that would have been hard for him, you know, not being able to play and be with his teammates and, and, and play the game. But at the same time, you know, that's, we got it done. I mean, I, I, it, it's, it feel, listen, I'm still talking to you before we've, he's actually signed the contract, which is going to happen here in about two hours. Yeah. But the fact that I can tell you that we got it done still kind of blows my mind. I'm not BSing you. It's still, I'm still kind of tripped out by it because I definitely, in all of my contract negotiations I've done, and I've done thousands of them in the last 23 years, I did not think this one would happen. Yeah. I really didn't. I didn't think the Cowboys would step up, uh, and, and kudos to them for doing it. I just didn't think we would get it done, you know, for whatever reason. And, and we did, and obviously I couldn't be happier to be putting on a sports jacket and a pair of pants and, and getting somewhat dressed up to go to go take some big photos that'll that'll – be something hopefully i can show my grandchildren that'll be great for you i'm really happy for you and i'll let you go and get ready for that and look for your pictures on social media uh which you do a great job of i guess you know i'm, I'm gonna let you go the last question sort of i have so many people listening to this that ask me this question all the time and you're the perfect person to answer it so many young people and professional people looking to make switches also want to get into the agent business I mean, whether it's spiked by Jerry have, Maguire have or whatever. very rich parents. What's your advice? <laughs> have multi-million dollar parents. I mean, <laughs> our business is out of control, Andrew. The, you know, the agent side of our industry 
has just gotten stupid, like stupid, like legitimately dumb. There are agents and agencies that in essence no longer work for their player. Um, they don't realize the role that an agent has anymore. And I, we can do a, a, a five hour or a 5,000 hour podcast about all the problems in the agent industry. But what's happened in the business is, is that agents are in essence buying players. They're giving them so much advance on signing. They're giving signing bonuses when a rookie signs with an agent coming out of college. And how are you helping a 20 year old kid by giving him a $6,000 a month per diem? What benefit are you teaching them about how to respect and earn money? And I think that one of the reasons so many rookies suck in the NFL and they just flat out suck. Let's be real. Let's, let's be honest. There are plenty of rookies that are first round picks and second round picks that are terrible football players because they don't respect money. They don't understand how money works. They don't understand what earning their dollar is. And I blame the agencies for coddling them, giving them $150,000, $250,000 upfront marketing guarantees, giving them $100,000 signing bonuses, and then cutting their fee down to half a percent or a quarter of a percent or 1%. Andrew, I don't know if you know me um, from how I run my business, but I have never, and I say I will never, I hope I will never, but, but I don't know if it'll mean survival, but I have never cut my fee below 3%. I do not charge players anything less than the maximum percent I'm allowed to charge. And there's a reason for that. We earn it. We work our asses off. Our analytics department is better than any analytics department at any NFL team in the National Football League. And I will guarantee you our database is better than the NFL database. I will guarantee you that if dollar for dollar you look at the players' performances and contracts that we've done versus what they've earned, we're kicking our ass as it relates to that. But I won't give kids marketing advances. I won't cut my fee to two or one. And I lose players every year. I have a veteran running back right now. I was going to ask you if you lose players because you don't match fees. Lose players every year. I won't match fees. Listen, if you don't want what we do, that's okay. Like if you want an agent, that's just going to be a yes man and kiss your ass and not teach you the business and not teach you the dynamics of how contracts work and structures and cash flows and guarantees and average per year and things that matter. And you just want to pay 1% for shoddy work. Go do it. God bless you. And in three years, when your career's kind of expiring and you're desperate to get paid again and you don't get it, you know, shame on you. you. You get what you pay for. And so I think there's a real epidemic problem in this industry of the mega agencies and the bigger agents that for whatever reason, I don't know if it's ego that they have to be in the green room and be on TV. I don't give a shit if I'm ever on TV. No one, no one cares what I look like. No one cares about me. I'm an agent. I work for the players. Right. And I think that the players... That the, the smart players, the players that know what we do, and the smart players that know the value of an agent that's willing to tell you no, like my biggest power is calling my players out on their shit. Like if my player screws up, I'm in their face. Like I'm yelling at them. I'm getting mad at them because you don't have a long career in this right. business. It's getting shorter and shorter every year. So you've got to suck the marrow out of this thing and you've got to take advantage of it and you've got to maximize every opportunity and every dollar. And so when you have these other agencies that are basically either not giving proper advice to players 
or kissing their ass in order to convince them to hire them or buying them with marketing guarantees, signing bonuses and per diems, you're doing them a disservice. I, I will tell you this. We don't, we don't have a first round pick this year. We don't have a second round pick this year, but I guarantee you Jordan Brailford, Matt Gay, Cody Barton, Jabril Frazier, AJ Richardson, Andrew Sorrell, and some of our other rookies, Dante Strickland, those guys are going to play for a long time in the NFL. And longevity is, way, is the way you get paid in this business. It's not because you're a first-round top 25 pick. It's getting to the second contract. Second contract, paid. right. And the, and the smart players that hire quality representation that's willing to tell them the truth and willing to tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear, are the way to win in this business. So anybody that's looking to get into this business, you know, don't sell your soul to the devil just to sign a client. Don't kiss ass just to get a client. Have rich parents because if you're going to get into the rookie business, you're going to need to spend a ton of money, which is <laughs> another conversation for another day. Um, and stay true to your morals. Stay true to your ethics. Stay true to your roots. I mean, I, I run a, you know, I don't know, we have 30, 40 guys in the NFL. I think I'm pretty lucky. We got, you know, two of the, the, the top six highest paid defensive linemen in NFL history with DeMarcus and Olivier. I guess I have the, the third highest paid, the, the third player ever in the NFL that doesn't play the quarterback position to see 20 million a year with DeMarcus. And, and I run my sports agency off my cell phone out of my mm. house in Davie, Florida. My assistants based out of Brooklyn, New York, Ness Mugrabi, and our analytics departments based out of uh, Worcester area of Massachusetts with Brian McIntyre. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are we, how are we doing, Andrew? <laughs> I'm I mean, doing I mean great. honestly, how are we doing? You know, I mean, I, I think that we're, I mean, that's the better business. than every, and I, tell young, the country. I tell young people all the time, like, you want to represent a player, why? Why would a player sign with you? What do you have? What makes you different? What, do you bring what makes you special? Yeah. Right. You know, my office is my cell phone because I'm living on the road. I live out of a suitcase. I'm visible. I need to see my guys. I need to go to training camp. I need to be around them. And that's my passion. I mean, I'm a road dog. I don't mind being on the road. You know, obviously it's harder as the kids get older and, and you know, it's lonely for me and lonely for my wife, but you know, I think that I've made the adjustment. I've made the sacrifices over 23 years to, to get here, but I'm not an overnight success. You know, I set a record back in 99, 2000 with Steven Davis's deal. I set a record with Todd Sauerbrunn's right. deal. You know, I've had dozens of players, almost a dozen players on the franchise or transition tag. So, you know, there's a method to our madness. And I think I know what I'm doing. I think players know what I'm, they know what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic enough to think that smart players who want really quality representation are going to call my cell phone. And, you know, we don't do a ton of college recruiting. We don't do a, t- a ton of veteran recruiting. We get referrals. And, and, and we've been able to sustain a, a very, very successful multi-million dollar business that way. And I, and I hope it continues. I've never worked a day in my life, 23 years. I'm the luckiest man alive. <laughs> and I say that completely unabashedly. I feel like I've never actually worked a day in my life. Speaking of which, I share that. I got to get off the phone I share that. and I got to go sign a contract. <laughs> We've gone an hour and a half. Felt like five minutes. We could do more. Well, there oh, will be God. more. As well, I always I say, there up, will be right? lawyers. I don't shut up. That's the problem. I like that. Dave, this has been great. Good luck. Get over there. Sign to Marcus. Take good pictures. It's, it's a moment in time for you and your career and his, obviously, his career. So uh, thanks for being on the podcast. This was great. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Hey, listen, really appreciate you having me. It was. I mean, I appreciate you just letting me talk and not shut up, so... That's that's a rarity. We'll definitely do more. We got a lot of topics beyond this to cover. 
hopefully your listeners enjoy it and, and don't just go, oh, God, this guy doesn't shut up after five minutes. <laughs> no, I think they'll love it. Thanks, Dave. Good luck with DeMarcus today. You got it. Thanks so much, Andrew. Appreciate you guys. That was great. I mean, what I try to do on this Business of Sports podcast is take you behind the scenes, things that you don't find anywhere else. And that was David Cantor on the negotiations of DeMarcus Lawrence, but much more about what really goes on from the agent side of the business. Hope you enjoyed it. Now word from betonline.ag. No March Madness is over, but the excitement of sports in April is huge. There's baseball. The Masters is this weekend. And you know NBA playoffs are right around the corner. You get in all the action. Sign up for your free account, betonline.ag. Use that promo code PODCAST1 for your 50% welcome bonus. We know what's going on this weekend. The NBA playoffs start. Masters is in. Major League Baseball is now in full force. Don't sit on the sidelines. Tons of action. Podcast one or text bet now to two three eight six six nine and you get that fifty percent welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Really hope you enjoyed that business sports podcast with David Cantor. We really take you inside the ropes there to hear what goes on in the business. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports. Really appreciate those of you follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. Apple Podcasts, rankings, and comments, always appreciated. Thanks to my producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.